Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. Hello, welcome back to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I am my host. I am my host. How about that for an intro? I am your host, as always, Jesse Collings. Uh, joining me today is Josh Nason. Josh is, of course, of uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, figure4online.com. He is the host of Josh Nason's Punch-Out, which you can find on the uh, F4WWON uh, website in the, in the podcast feed section. Um, he's my neighbor to the north. Uh, he's a native of Western Maine. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today? Uh, very good, Jesse. I'm glad to finally be on your show after you've been on my show, uh, gracefully so many times. And I should wish you a good hello, Gullo. Oh, hello, Gullo. Um, yes. see, Brandon's dropping the ball on hello, Gullo, because what really needs to hammer it home is like some elevator music in the background while Gullo yeah. tells us a story of his life because people don't uh, always get this on WrestleNomics, but Gullo has some hilarious stories from his life that he usually tells us either before or after we record. And I really feel like that should be shared with the world. Um, yeah, he he doesn't talk a lot on that show. He just kind of sit there with, with a bow tie and kind of run the ship and all that stuff. But yeah, he doesn't really uh, contribute that much. Gullo does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I'm not going to uh, tell you he doesn't contribute. And part of that is strategic. Um, it's hard to have three people talking at once on a podcast. Um, and Gullo does a lot of uh, of kind of management and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, keeps control of the timestamps. He runs the chat room. He tells us when comments are happening. Uh, reads things. That kind of stuff is, is more of his role uh, since I've been on the show. Of course, we're feuding uh, in storyline. Um, That's but, true. So, so do you know the origin of the Hello Gullo? I don't know. We were going to start with a Chris Gullo conversation. Uh, this is good. It, it helps uh, the storyline along. Uh, I don't. I am sure I've heard it, but I actually do not. So Gullo's uncle owns a like a like a landscape. A hardware store. Yeah, it's like a garden. Yeah. It's like a garden center. Yes. And they have regional ads in the Buffalo area where it, they say like, say hello, hello to Gullo's. And like that, you know, it's a commercial for it. And I guess they they were airing it during Dynamite um, in the Buffalo area, so Brandon picked it up, and that's kind of how it started. Um, but that is the that is the origin of it for people who are not aware, or certainly not uh, getting Buffalo, New York area cable feeds, which is where <laughs> that commercial comes from. It's a very regional advertisement, but we all have our our, our famous regional advertisements. Um, oh, we certainly do. Yes, you know, of course, in New England, we have many. Um, I heard, uh, speaking of, of New England uh, advertising news, you know, you know what, I've, I got an email the other day that they're reworking the Water Country jingle. Are you familiar with the Water Country jingle? Uh, I I know I've heard it, but it is not coming to mind. Are you going to sing it for me right now? Well, you know, it's like, it's when the sun is blazing and the summer is hot. Water Country is a very cool spot. That's how, yes, that's how it yes. goes. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you in a band? 
No, I'm not. I'm very I'm, I'm musically <laughs> gifted, despite my incredible singing of uh of water of the water country theme song. Anyway, they're reworking it, and I, I was like, "Who was asking for a reworking of the water country jingle? It is iconic." Um, mm. Okay, this is this is a uh, terrible audio for anyone outside of the uh, the '95 Beltway. Uh, but uh, but the reason I had you on the show today, Josh, is because I wanted to talk about WWE uh, in a positive light. Uh, and obviously, there's there's no way to look at WWE's business metrics without being extremely positive. If we look over the past year, pretty much across the board, they are up substantially from where they were a year ago. Um, you know, look at live attendance is through the roof. I mean, I remember where WWE was probably having maybe like four or five Raw or SmackDown tapings per year that would get more than 10,000 fans in attendance. And now it's like if they don't get 10,000 fans in attendance, it's like a downhouse. Um, television ratings have gone way up, especially in the key demo. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, WWE was in like the 0.40 range for Raw. And now we see them right around, you know, 0.55, sometimes stretching as high as like 0. 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7. Uh, we've seen that number. We've seen really seen their business just increase across the board over the last year. The only thing I think they're down in is YouTube views, um, which is kind of shocking, but I'm sure that has more to do with like videos being pulled and certain other metrics going on on YouTube's end because everything else is way, way up. And I wanted to kind of explore the the multitude of reasons why we think that is. Um, I think it's not an easy explanation um, because like anything in, in an industry that's this diverse and this wide, there are a lot of factors in play, but I'll start with this, Josh. Just if I were to come up to you on the street and ask you, hey, I heard WWE's doing a lot better business-wise. Why, why is that? How would you answer that question? Because uh, they have a pretty major storyline that has run for a long time that has got a lot of legs to it, uh, a lot of tentacles to it, and has been well, well told and one that is seems cool and it's very accessible. It doesn't involve really old people, so to speak, uncool people, you know, the, even Paul Heyman, even though he's at an advanced age, so to speak, not in the, uh, the key demo, I would assume he is, he he's, he's kind of plays playing a part in this, but it really, it just involves like really kind of like, yeah, it, it's a cool angle. And I think that's a, that's a big thing, especially when it comes to the, uh, the uh, elusive uh, quote unquote casual fan that everyone's trying to get. I think part of that is, this angle is something that you, if you're a wrestling fan and you're watching with somebody else or they happen to come up in a conversation, so it's like, oh, what is this? I saw Roman Reigns was on this or, or whatever, or uh, Uso or Usi or something, something along those lines. If someone, if someone was kind of outside our bubble was to bring it up, you wouldn't be embarrassed to talk about it. And I think that's a, that's a thing where it's very accessible. It has the soap opera elements. It has the physical elements. And it has these different elements that have not made it feel stale, which is unlike a lot of WWE angles throughout the period where fans just start getting shaved off, uh, disengaged, disenchanted with Vince McMahon booking. I would say that's the top reason is that it has a hot thing. And after a while, people just kind of get hooked onto it. And then they find other things kind of like back in the attitude era when it was the Steve Austin run and, that was kind of your 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 meat for the dinner 
And then people are like, oh, what's this side dish over here? What's this over here? And they're willing to check other things out and they find certain hooks that they like. And that becomes cool too. And it's just kind of the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's translating what we'll talk about, you know, attendance, I'm sure, and things like that. But they have really been smart about where they're taking their monthly pay-per-views slash PLEs to uh, different locales in front of hot crowds that make it seem like it's a place to be and a place to be seen, as we used to say back when I used to work in pro sports. It's an event. People are jumping out of their seats. The first one that comes to mind is Puerto Rico. You look at the international markets. It looks cool, and that translates over, whereas you know, a lot of Raws throughout the years and SmackDowns as well, people are just kind of like, I would say sitting on their hands, but basically just sitting watching the show. And when they get to these these big moments, these big punctuating moments, the the emotion of the fans, you can feel it at home, and you feel it, and then it makes it feel like this is something that's kind of cool to be part of. So that would be what I would start with. Mm-hmm. So you're really big on the bloodline angle, really kind of driving this growth. Um, yes. What's interesting to me is that, the, you know, the bloodline angle has been going on for years. We can go back two or three years and you could find, you know, the Usos feuding with Roman Reigns. Um, but it wasn't really until this past, you know, really this past year, the past 365 days, where I would say like it really took off in terms of, you know, I think people were were into it within like, you know, the established WWE fan base that was watching week to week anyway. Um, but, and, and people were into kind of Roman's heel turn right from the get-go, but it really wasn't until about a year ago where I felt like it really turned into like a historically memorable angle in the sense of this will be an angle that people, t- I don't want to say like it's the greatest angle of all time or, or all that's compared to the NWO and stuff like that. But at the same time, I do think in like 10 or 15 years, we'll be remembering, oh, the bloodline angle is like this is this historically important angle. Um, but it didn't, but it took like a couple of years for it to kind of get that way, which is really interesting. I don't think we've really seen anything like that in pro wrestling. If you wanted to go back and compare, it's like the NWO, like the NWO starts off really hot. Uh, you know, it stays hot for for a long time in wrestling terms, but eventually cools off. I mean, by the time the NWO had been done and beaten to death uh, as an angle, the bloodline angle was really taking off, you know, two, two and a half years into it, which I find kind of fascinating. Yeah. So there's a few things with that. One, um, you know, there's been multi-year angles run before, but TV was a lot different. I was thinking of the, the famous one, obviously the Hogan Savage from, you know, for WrestleMania four through WrestleMania five. I mean, that was year long, but there wasn't. Uh, hours and hours of TV to fill. So in this era, I I, I would agree with you that these long storylines, which which Vince McMahon has has, has been kind of adverse to uh, throughout the years, and especially during the, I would say the decline of in interest in the company before uh, before this run. So yeah, I mean I, it, it's I, the thing that really stands out, you know, as you were talking about that is think about all some of these angles that we've seen in WWE through the past, you know, few years, say, say before this, say uh, from like, I don't know, 2017 through 2020, uh, sorry, 2017 through 2020, right. Or 2015, whatever you want to say there. What angles do you remember that, that have been kind of top quote unquote top angles that have left everyone elevated afterward? I can't think of that many. I'm sure there may be one or two, maybe, but ones that like this, where, 
Roman Reigns, the centerpiece, is coming off bigger as a result of this to me. Both Usos as a team, and then also individually, especially Jay, I think, is going to be the one that really benefits the most. I think that's clear. He comes off as a bigger star. Uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, I think those guys, their profiles have increased through this as well. And even things like, you know, with, with Cody Rhodes, as much as I dislike him not winning the title, I think that run and I, the, I think the alliance kind of leading into some of these shows with um, Cody and, and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, I love seeing that because that reminds me again, when I was, I was growing up where baby faces aligned, it was baby faces versus heels. Baby faces so, have friends, an important right, thing that is right. elusive from WWE during certain periods of time. And they don't over like AEW, I think, tends to overdo it where every single person, no matter where they are, needs a friend or multiple friends. And I think that waters it down when WWE, you don't see that. And we hadn't seen that in really like forever, like a real like top guys getting together and being like, this is this is not good. We're going to we're going to fend off these these heels. Right. Just that that kind of guttural feeling of where we came from, or at least I came from as a wrestling fan. So I feel like everyone is just elevated through this and it's not just a case of a, uh, you know, I think of all like the, you know, the, the big Brock Lesnar matches. I don't, you know, I'm just using an example. I don't feel like out of any of these, like there's been guys that have come out of being like this, this person feels bigger as a result. It was always just kind of like Brock kills someone and we move on and, and, and that's it. And on to the next. And it's just kind of like, meh, you know, that that's one of the things that I think really stands out is that it, other people feel bigger set so when they go to other angles they go to Raw, so on and so forth. They kind of bring that momentum with them. That's something we just really haven't, to me, we haven't really seen it felt, like guttural felt in a long time. I think you touched on something really important there, which is I think WWE has done a much better job in the last year or two of presenting and booking baby faces in general. I think that's something that they've really struggled with um, over like the last 10 years. And yeah. I do think especially with the way, you know, since they brought back Cody, which would be, you know, WrestleMania last year, I think the way Sami Zayn kind of took off, and I think you can look at the way the Usos are presented now, um, that baby faces are being presented in a stronger way. Um, it's not all heat on the baby face, heat on the baby face, heat on the baby, baby face. You mentioned like baby faces have friends, which was often a problem in WWE, which is the heels all had a bunch of friends and the baby faces were losers that had no one that wanted to help them. So they kept getting beaten up by the army of heels each time. Um, I think that especially with a wrestler like Cody, and I would say the Usos are, are, cl are close to this as well. I just think their promos are a lot better in coming across as, uh, more natural um, that probably has to do with maybe less Vince involvement which we'll get to and I think is like the major factor in WWE's improvement over the last year um, but I just think in general like baby faces come across as better and I think that plays a role in oh even though Roman Reigns has held the title for a million years and he's not really putting people over people are still feel elevated when they interact with him because they come across as organically good performers and people that the fans want to get behind um in a way that was kind of elusive to wwe before yeah I, you know i think the the like you i know you are a big ken burns uh documentary watcher now as a, a subscriber to pbs after they knocked on your door pbs passport member but yes i'm a pbs other... passport holder uh, of, of, of uh, proud new hampshire native by the way ken burns 
That's right. That's right. Do you watch a uh, regular, you know, scripted TV shows? You're a regular TV watcher. Uh, I don't watch a ton of scripted television, but I have, I do watch, you know, I probably watch like one show at a time. Uh, okay. That makes so sense. What do you, what are you watching right now? Or what's the one that comes to um, mind? I just finished the bear. Great. Um, so the bear, the perfect yes. example, outstanding show, both seasons, great FX, Hulu, wherever you want to watch it. I would highly recommend when you watch those shows, do you find that you have rooting interest for certain characters on those shows? Yes. On that show? Yes. Yeah, of course. Right. And other shows you've watched throughout the years, probably very similar where you have a kid, there's a, there's a connection, an emotional connection, a feel where you're like, I want this person to do good. Like when uh, Marcus went to, I believe it was, it was Amsterdam. Or not I was, Amsterdam. He went we to went, Copenhagen. I was about to bring that. I was about to bring it up. I was like, yes, in that episode, I was rooting for Marcus. I was worried that something bad was going to happen for him, but I was like, right. and when it ended, I had a big sigh of relief. I said, this was such a pleasant episode. Exactly. And that's spoilers, spoilers what? on the bear, by the way. <laughs> right. Right. Not, not major ones, but it, it's good. But that's the whole, you know, like people, you know, may connect to Sydney or um, to Carmi or Carmi's brother, uh, his cousin. And like, the point is that no matter any of these shows, I watch a, a lot of scripted TV have throughout the years. And the thing you makes a good show, a, a big thing makes a, a good show from versus a bad show is your connection to the characters, whether frankly, you give a shit about what they're doing, what their lives are like, you know, what they're like, are you invested in the story? And that's one of the things that, you know, talking about baby faces that, that again, that they've really kind of got back to, you can see it with some of the, you know, the Santos Escobar, Rey Mysterio stuff. And, you know, the uh, Rey Mysterio, the ultimate baby face going against the dastardly son, uh, Dominic Mysterio. That was a nice kind of a, another thing as I think is kind of elevated up to that the, you, and when you have so much darkness, you have to have the light. You think of any type of uh, science, uh, science fiction, but like pop culture movie, like your Star Wars, all your Marvel shows, things like that. There's good going against evil, so you, you most people root for the good. They want to see the bad guys get theirs and so on. Or if you're seeing, again, um, Marcus trying to figure out how to cook and things like that, you want to have a, a rooting interest. And that's where, you know, with the whole baby face thing that WWE has finally kind of come back around on, that was missing for so long was like, I don't like, I, I just don't want to root for these people because they're just, they're, they're weak baby faces. They're just not like, they don't give you that instant, you know, non-smooth fit. This is why you should be ring for me. It's like Cody's Cody's a natural baby face and having him in, you just, you immediately like, I'm, I'm with this guy. I like this stuff. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn through this bloodline view, the same thing. Um, you know, people like that. You just, you like to like them. And that's a, that's a good, that's a good thing. Cause it creates that balance and it creates that kind of that, that interest, that hook that they've been just missing for so long. Um, and yeah, historically, that's a, historically, WWE has been a you know a baby face territory. Like that is how the company look at their most successful periods in wrestlers. You can go back to Bruno Sam. You can go even before Bruno San Martino. It's like Argentina Rocca and stuff, people like that. But you know, look at Bruno San Martino. Look at Bob Backlund. Look at Hulk Hogan. Look at Bret Hart. Look at Steve Austin. Like go if we go back to the Attitude Era which was, this was always like a big notable thing to me. Um, especially, you know, when they were so obsessed with just heat, heat, heat every week. Was that like the, if you were to watch a Raw in 1998, the general plot of Raw is Steve Austin is the popular babyface. The Vince McMahon organized some kind of scheme or plots to, to uh, 
negatively impact Steve, Steve Austin. Maybe he wanted to beat him for the title. Maybe he wanted to just beat him up. But the end of pretty much every episode was Steve Austin figures it out and gives Jitsuke a stone cold stunner. That's not sometimes, you know, every once in a while, McMahon would, would end up victorious for, for the week. But for the most part, every episode was built around here's the good guy, here's the bad guy. The bad guy, you know, puts pressure on the good guy, but the good guy overcomes the end and everyone goes home happy. Um, and that was kind of like the standard for WWE's most successful period of time. Um, it wasn't until like only like, you know, the last decade or so where it became a lot more like, you know, the babyface is going to get finally get a big win after like nine months of struggle, which like there's some logic to the sense of we're going to beat the babyface, beat the babyface, beat the babyface, beat the babyface. And then eventually they're going to, to get a big win, which is kind of what happened to Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan. That was like kind of the, the method that ended up happening for him. Um, and there's a method to that in the sense of, you know, that that we'll, we'll make fans want it so bad. We won't deliver, won't deliver. And then when we finally deliver, it will be huge. But realistically, what happens is it becomes very hard as a babyface to maintain that kind of momentum when you're getting your ass kicked each week. Um, what makes it easier is if you're coming out on top and being protected in the booking. And I think WWE has done a much better job protecting those baby faces in their booking in a week to week basis. So there's more of a rewarding factor, even though Roman Reigns has been champion the entire time. And I do think that the Roman Reigns aspect is interesting because I also think Roman Reigns is, uh, it's kind of varied depending on who he's wrestling, but like Roman Reigns is obviously the biggest heel in the company, but he's also kind of the biggest baby face too. He's the most popular wrestler, mm-hmm. um, which is more of like a it's it, it's more of a role that exists in, in modern wrestling that maybe didn't exist in the past where fans are not as aligned to like the morality of their wrestlers. They don't know if it's good or they don't really side with who's good or who's evil. They go side with who's interesting. And Roman is been the most interesting wrestler for most WWE fans, certainly the way he's presented uh, he comes across as like the most complex character in a lot of ways. Um, he's had the entire company built around him for the past decade. Uh, and so fans are also, you know, he's kind of, he's over with the fans kind of in the way that a baby face is, even while he is being presented as a heel. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. He's uh, yeah. I think, I think you, you nailed it when you said interesting, he's interesting, right? Even as in this kind of tweener role that he's in, He's cool. He's interesting. He's um, he's worth paying attention to because there's now levels and, and layers to the character, you know, understanding more of the backstory and just he is far more interesting than when they were trying to make him John Cena 2.0 and be like, OK, we're just going to hand the baton to somebody else and we're going to force this until people are like just are just going to accept it. Now and, they naturally accept it. And John Cena's character was not interesting. Like John after, Cena's- a, after a while, he was not right? right. It just became like the same old thing. And even like, you know, I I'm what was always big, like, you know, change up the look from time to time, try something different. And and that was, you know, the, the big call forever. And this was again, during kind of the, a real big, to me, a creative lull with WWE was everyone's wanted him to be heel, right? Uh, they wanted that satisfaction of just seeing, seeing the, be- seeing the good guy turn just once because it would make him more interesting. I think ultimately, that word is is the is the most important one um, when it comes to a Reigns or you know in, in Austin was interesting. The Rock was interesting. There was even you know guys like Big Foley. There was there was something there which like oh this is different. And with Reigns it just wasn't different. It felt like this is the guy you're we're going to give you like it like it or not. And, well, and 
well, I yeah, think with Cena, like Cena's character wasn't interesting, but Cena like has like a special level of charisma and in, in personality that Roman just never had. Um, Roman needed to be presented in a different way to, I think, harness his talent, um, which happened when he turned heel and, you know, developed the tribal chief character and the kind of aesthetic that goes along with that. He couldn't just be like John Cena. Hey, fans, everyone have a good time tonight because Cena is really uh like uniquely talented in that way he can go out and cut a 15 minute promo in front of a hostile crowd when he's supposed to be babyface, and if not turn the crowd at least get them to stop taunting him and to, to be invested in what he's going to say and they try to shoehorn roman reigns into that role but reigns had different skills um he didn't have the skill set for the cena role and i think that's part of the reason he was struggled to get over for so long um as a top baby face it wasn't until he found a more fitting role for what he could be good at um where things really took off and now you can see where he is now um yeah i i would love a at someday a feature long feature i don't know if it's book worthy but this whole a real like a real real um look inside this whole storyline like where it was created how much paul Heyman had influence on it who had really who was really the main drivers behind the the creative? Were there turns that they took? Were there like, we don't know? Were there ones that are like, we should, we didn't decide to take that, that maybe they would like to try again? Um, you know, kind of where, I, I'd love this, a long form podcast series, not produced by WWE, which I don't think we'll ever get, but just who were kind of the, the you know, the, the the parents of this and, and who really kind of ushered this uh, kid of a story long, uh, so to speak, storyline along to being a full grown adult. You know, I have just, I'm, I'm fascinated by this guy. I think, I think by assumption, well, I assume, oh, Heyman has to be involved. Heyman has to be involved. I'm sure he is, but I'm sure there's other uh, creative forces in line. I'd love to know how, how, what ideas has Roman come up with? There's stuff that, that the Usos came up with, or how involved was Paul Levesque? You know, was McMahon involved to that extent? Cause this does not feel like a, a real McMahon storyline because it's actually good, you know. And I'm just, I've just would love to get under, get an understanding of the contributors to all this along the way, and who kind of really just added gasoline to this fire and and made it even better. And pitfalls well, uh, they avoid along the way. Josh, if the NWO has taught us anything for the next twenty or thirty years, there'll be a million people taking credit for it, mm-hmm. uh, whether true, or not bro. they were involved or not. It's like how. Uh, I think there's like 100 different people that have claimed that they came up with the idea of Bill Goldberg's winning streak. No, that's um, true. Right. We're going to, I don't know if we'll ever get a straight answer on, uh, on kind of the creative process. I'm going to put the disclaimer out here. Um, I don't like the bloodline storyline. I think oh, it's really okay. boring and it's been lasting for way too long. And I actually don't think that there's been a lot of creative effort put into it, given that it's been on weekly TV for three straight years. Um, it feels like they've been telling basically the same story for the entire time with some brief blips, particularly when Sami Zayn was getting over and things attention kind of shifted more towards him, which I think made it more interesting. Um, But I'm being objective here. And obviously the the storyline is hugely successful. And so I'm kind of separating my personal opinion on the storyline, which I am not a particularly huge fan of. And I actually think its influence has been damaging to pro wrestling to an extent as far as what I like to see, but clearly it's successful. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast. And I wanted to do it with you, Josh, because I knew you were a fan of it. Um, and I didn't want to just turn this into, I grumble about this, the bloodline storyline, because that's not really what I find interesting. I find interesting is kind of 
what has happened in WWE over the last year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I can completely see that. And I think that's a, a good thing about um, this, uh, this industry and the, the art that it is, that it is possible for people to not agree and not be like, Oh, this is so terrible. You're a shill for this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is the whole thing is when you talk to any promoters and, and the really good ones, they are always like, we want to present a smorgasbord of different stuff, a variety of different stuff, a buffet where people that don't like this don't have to wait long because we'll have this coming up or this coming up. And it's, it's a variance, it's palate cleansers, it's different things. And it's okay. You know, it's okay. And it's okay. If people don't like women wrestling. It's okay. If people don't like blood and guts type stuff, it's okay. If they don't like the bloodline, there's, there's other things for them where they're like, as long as it's not completely insulting their intelligence or it's just like, oh, this is so, so awful. Um, you know, there's, there's something else that they can find. And I think with, you know, one of the things with, with WWE is it feels like there is a lot of kind of different things. And, you know, granted, this isn't, you know, they aren't A pluses every single week. You know, Raw is still three hours. And I'm sure, you know, from I, I, I'm not a regular Raw watcher every single week, um, but just kind of hearing from people I respect and know there it's back to the wow, the show is really boring. <laughs> it's a slog to get through it. It's not entertainment. And, but you look at the numbers are still strong and SmackDown seems to be the one that is, uh, is continuing to, to power through and we'll see how this turn. I mean, WWE could in, in, in Nick Khan and crew could have not landed in a better spot. Uh, if, if they, if they dream this up, the fact that there's a, yeah. A a writer strike. Oh, the writer strike. Yeah. Yeah. There's a writer strike. So they are, they're bulletproof there because with a writer strike and the producer and the, um, actor strike, TV is going to be affected for at least probably the next year, depending on when this gets done, because it's not like all of a sudden production picks up the next day. Everyone's just outside and ready to go in the sets. All the stuff is in development. There's just a whole thing. WWE just keeps on going. Pro Do you mean to tell me that uh, WWE is not a union uh, shop? Uh, yeah, I guess not. I guess not. It's weird how that works. Yeah. yeah right. Seth Rollins, um, Seth Rollins sympathies are, are with the, the strikers, but he's glad he's not a union. Um, yeah. Well, it's such a, that is such a weird take, but I, I like the thing. No, I look, no one licks about, those boots better than Seth Rollins. <laughs> the thing I, I still, I, I, I don't understand why W is not done. I, I, I do, but I don't is why are they still not covering and taking care of travel for talent lodging um, travel? Like, like it is, I, you, you've talked to, and I remember Bailey briefly yeah. brought this up and it's probably like electroshocked uh, when, when she got back, but like for a company that makes this much money is going to make probably, you know, a lot more in this next round of deals. This is like a no brainer just to take care of your talent and say, you don't have to do this anymore. Cause you are professional freaking entertainers. You know what I mean? I just, it doesn't make any sense. And oh. people outside the industry hear this think it is ludicrous. Do you think that a, you know, Brad Pitt is going to go on set. They're going to make him drive from place to place if there's different locations or like professional athletes. You know, oh, you got to find your way here. This is kind of part of like the team atmosphere is you don't, you, you, the company takes more control over it because they can show people are going to get there and they have more control over it. And again, they have leverage in terms of flight discounts and travel. It's like there's a way to do it and to let, have the town be like, it's up to you. It's such a bad tradition. It's such yeah. a bad look. It's 2023. It's time to like move past this and well, take care of your people. Not even, not even being a successful entertainer, like anyone that's ever had to travel for work, um, for the most part, yeah. your company 
will either arrange it or at least reimburse you for it. I, I, when I have to travel for it, like I, I, I have to drive somewhere to cover something every month. I fill out an expense report that tells to, to, they pay me, they reimburse my gas because, and I, and I work for a, a bad company. <laughs> doesn't treat its employees <laughs> particularly well um like um but yeah i know that's that's one of those things that comes across as as being absurd but um to get back on on topic a little bit i wanted to uh mention like well in terms of like my personal opinion on it like to me it comes down to just being like uh like honest and being also being like uh fair in my in my analysis and nothing is more annoying to me when like people argue about like i like AEW and i like AEW style and it's annoying to me where people that don't like AEW style will make an argument that like AEW style isn't working that no one wants to tune in and watch this stuff there's too many lucha guys flying around this kind of thing whatever people's personal preferences are wrestling are for wrestling and they allow that to put them into a position where they're making absurd factually untrue arguments about the financial success of something um like and so like if i'm going to be fair in analysis i can say i don't really like the bloodline angle but clearly it's doing well for business clearly it's a huge success and clearly while it does not align with my personal tastes it has really struck a chord in WWE's entire creative over the last year has really struck a chord with the WWE fan base and has gotten a lot more of their fans to become weekly watchers of their programming um, and to, to pay for tickets. Um, and it'd be foolish and untruthful to say the bloodline stinks. It's a terrible angle that they should, they should break, they should end it. They should break it up because they shouldn't, because it's clearly working for them. Um, and that's just part about being fair and honest. And I also, at the same time, some people will just say, oh, because it's doing business well, that means it's good, which those are two separate things. I can give my own opinion on something while also acknowledging the broader business implications of it. Uh, I guess it's sometimes a, a line people struggle to walk, but I think it's part of being in this space and being able to 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 separate your personal tastes with like business analysis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. I think some of the, um, you know, some of the business metrics and, you know, looking back at the uh, financials uh, that were released on, uh, on Wednesday, as we record this on, uh, on Thursday, um, you know, one of the things that stands out obviously to me is the, the live event attendance and obviously mm -hmm. the revenue is up, but you know, a big thing about revenue is people like, Oh, the revenue's up, revenue's up. And, you know, AEW, they talk about that and all oh, the gates so much higher than a year ago. That's because ticket prices are higher. That's like a big reason for it. But the actual tenants itself, look at WWE compared year over year. They did. Uh, they held six more uh, events um, this last quarter than the, the year over year before, and it was you know fifty five domestic, foreign, and national. And their domestic attendance was approximately, or sorry, they had fifty three ticket events. They had less less um, less people or less shows. Uh, average domestic attendance was uh, just under ten thousand ninety nine hundred. Compared to the year before, they had six less events, and it was around sixty-eight hundred. So, grand, grand, there are less events, so that average can rise. But still, I mean, you look at you know some of these. Um, uh, I think was it the Survivor Series that went on sale in in Orlando? I think it was, and that, that automatically sold out. Um, strong numbers. You look at you know with, with Wrestle Ticks for various Raws and Smackdowns. I mean, they're doing well. So that indicates you know for again for Raw and SmackDown and the the, the PLEs, you know it's it's an it, people are really interested, and also. 
that's also translating over to NXT when they've seen a nice uh, a re- renaissance with having more main roster talent down, whether that kind of muddies what they're supposed to be. I don't think WWE cares right now, but it's a, people are definitely there. Even if they're not into the bloodline story, they're going to these shows and they're interested in something on the show in that buffet that they're like, I got to go see this live. And that's uh yeah, that, that I look at those numbers and it's like, that's a, that's a big benefit. And that's something showing that people are going. And, and I was thinking that the other day, you know, at some point, this popularity is going to start decreasing. I mean, everything has an apex and everything has a decline. I don't know when the decline is going to happen. They're obviously pretty strong now, but I'm, I'm curious how they manage that decline. If it comes in, in you know, a couple of years where we're at, at that point in the wrestling world and you know the world in general, but at some point, you know, this is, they are going to start coming down. It's a, it's just, that's just how kind of these things work. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I think, the big the big thing for me, if I were to answer the original question, which is why is WWE so much more popular um, over the past year? Um, what I I think the thing that I come down to is, you know, Vince McMahon a year ago, Vince McMahon retires, resigns, steps down from all his capacities in, in WWE. Um, it's you know it's publicly announced, it's publicly acknowledged publicly acknowledged triple h is there cutting a promo on on episode of raw um it is triple h is now the creative head of wwe vince mcmahon is retired that's the that's the public line that's that's the perception of, of everyone that vince mcmahon is no longer involved with the company um and that was the case for several months and then you know vince worked his way back into the company and now he's more powerful than ever but formally at least still triple h is in charge of the creative process and I think that is a huge reason why this company is doing so much better from a business perspective. And the reason they're doing so much better from a business perspective is not necessarily that Triple H is better at creative than Vince McMahon, because I think he is. But I think the big thing is just this, the, the optimism that comes with Vince McMahon is no longer being in charge and Triple H is in charge. And the fans generally like Triple H. You know, he had the reputation from NXT. They think Triple H can do a good job. And so immediately you had a lot more optimism for the product. You had a lot more people who had maybe become disillusioned with WWE getting back into the product saying, oh, it's going to be different now. I'm going to check it out. Even though I think the product isn't that much different there are obviously some significant changes like we discussed like the baby faces being presented better um but the product's not like radically different than it was you know a few years ago but i think the idea that triple h is in charge fans feel good about the product fans feel like if they get invested in somebody the company is going to reward them by paying it off. They've given them enough things like the bloodline angle, like Sami Zayn getting over, like the way that Cody has been presented, that they are now kind of rallying behind other new people. I think LA Knight is a significant one in that people are getting organically over, which used to happen all the time about 10 to 12 years ago. I'm sure you'll remember Zack Ryder. People remember when like Dolph Ziggler was really over. Even you can go back and look at like when Rob Van Dam got really over in the, you know, in the mid 2000s, Edge kind of in the same way, going back even further. WWE always had these mid-carters kind of getting organically over and then eventually pushed uh, at a higher level. But at some points, 
the company really they they ended up burning enough bridges there. They ended up you know pushing Zach Wild Zach Ryder off of the stage in a wheelchair, and they ended you know beating Dolph Ziggler unceremoniously, and all these other things that happened to people that started to get organically over. Uh, fans lost that enthusiasm, lost that optimism, lost that investment in members of the roster, and they turned into a really apathetic crowd. And I don't think I think it's a huge difference now that the crowd is so much more energized and they're behind a bunch of different people on the roster. Yeah, the bloodline and Roman Reigns and the Usos and people like Cody are really over, but other people are starting to get really over too and getting big reactions from the crowd. And I think a lot of that comes from the fan base feels like wrestling is going to be in good hands. And they had just lost that by when Vince was in charge and you can't blame them. Vince, you know, there were so many dropped angles, uh, momentum opportunities to push someone new where they failed, um, you know, pushing, even just pushing Roman above everyone else as a stale baby face for year after year after year, all of that just led to fans, you know, tuning out of the product literally, but also just, you know, even if they were going to the shows, not making a ton of noise. And I think that's totally changed with Triple H in this position that he's in now. Um, even if Vince is meddling backstage, even if Vince is still ripping up scripts, even if Vince is, you know, still making key creative decisions and calls, uh, the fan base feels like the company is in much better hands with Triple H, you know, as the formal head of creative. And I think that has led to a lot more positivity, which in turn has led to a lot more investment, which in turn leads to a lot more interest. And you've got people who are watching the TV each week, you know, tuning into the to the, the pay-per-view events, um, going to live shows. All of those positive business metrics are up because fans feel optimistic and positive about WWE. And they really didn't, you know, in the last few years before Vince, you know, formally resigned. Yeah, I think that's definitely an undeniable part of it. Again, it's just a question of how many, how many of those, how many of the WWE fan base is active on Twitter and kind of understands what's going on. I think, I think, I think most of WWE's fan base was aware that Vince was no longer in charge. That was a major, major news story. And Triple H came out. Uh, Stephanie McMahon led a thank you, Vince Chance. Uh, on SmackDown, Triple H came out mm-hmm. on the television. Like I, I, I'm not saying uh, every single person was, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal article and stuff like that. But I think pretty much every fan knew uh, that Vince was no longer in charge. Yeah, you think like more than ninety percent? Uh more than ninety? I don't know. Probably, pr- probably not ninety, but I would say like more than eighty. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I don't know the answer. I don't. I don't know. The answer to that because I again we're so in the bubble that I when people talk about AEW promotion, WB certain news and, and things like that, I think of like, well, how many of these people are actually I think we assume everyone's on social. It seems like it is, but there's really not, you know, if well, kind of the general population. But I, I you know, I think to your to your point. Well, you have to yeah, look at Josh, I, I th- you have to look at who did they lose over the last several years. Like if you look at their ratings decline, it was really heavily in 18 to 49. And that's who they've got back. Um, I think the people that are the reason the ratings are up, you know, this past year over the last several years is because I think people that had tuned out of the product over, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021 came back. And that that fan base is probably more online uh, or more at least on social media. I mean, every I'm pretty much everyone under the age of 50 or 60 is on social media in some some regard. Um, 
And yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I, so I think, I think there's a few things. I think the, it definitely has something to do with it in terms of plugged in fans for sure. That felt, uh, let's say lapsed fans, you know, to shout out to the last fan podcast, but you know, I, I think there is certainly a, there was certainly a revived interest. I know I felt it because I'm like this for people that kind of know that they were, that WB Cray was, was stale. And the fact that, you had the guy that a lot of people blame for that out of there. I think that that certainly was like what the, it add that element of what could happen now. And that's a, a big factor mm-hmm. in terms of, I mean, Tony Khan has built part of his company on like what, the big announcement, the, the suspense, what could happen now? Surprise, surprise, surprise. And I, and that's a big part of um, that was a big part of it. I mean, you look at in who is triple H going to bring back who, what, what are the quote unquote, wrongs that he's going to write in terms of releases and you start to see those time after time and and however they're all over the product now right all the people he brought back yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that that's the thing as you look at those people had the 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 meme of the the thanos glove and and all the you know the giant gargano bray wyatt and and all this stuff i think if you can you look at that group now it's like what you know what (laughs) what happened you know I'm, i'm sure they're I think if you got them in a candid moment, a, in a, a off the record moment, I'm sure a lot of them are like we thought this is going to be a lot different, and it has to be discouraging. They're getting paid, but there also has to be part of that where like the, the, we thought this is going to be different. It's not. It's not. You look at some people that signed like Eric Young, who never even made his. You know, he wasn't going to be a big name and everything like that, but he didn't never made an appearance for the company. Vince came back. He's like, I don't want to do this. And, yeah, the Lanny, you know, the Lanny Palfo getting paid and never making an appearance. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's definitely a big factor in the, to your point, the fact that things are paid off now for the most part, the, the Cody non-win at WrestleMania, a big kind of, you know, uh, side, side note from that, but there certainly is a, it feels different. The long title reigns, which I, I think a lot of that is done to erase the past. That's been a big WWE thing forever is now, 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 and who gives a, a shit about the past unless you're trying to sell the network. And it, it feels that there's interesting, there's fresh matchups. There's, you know, and I look at things like, you know, the Royal rumble, just talking about the, you know, the men specifically, this is the kind of feeling when I was growing up, when you had two wrestlers that had never touched before, never went face to face. And I think you have a little bit of that still, you look at things like the Royal rumble and that kind of leads me to think like, have faith in like there's bigger stuff, you know, down the road, they could still do. I think people would be very excited about a, a Gunter, uh, Brock Lesnar match, for example, who knows where we're going to get it. But I think there's, you have those little inner inner interactions, minglings where it's just like, oh man, we could see this someday. Um, there's guys. Yeah. I, I think that there's talents there that they have really got behind that are younger kind of newer talents and they've really stuck with them and things to your, to your point, they've paid off, you know, back in the, in the, in the fully Vince era, I don't think uh, Ray Mysterio would have ever gotten a win over Dominic. It would have been something that just, wasn't satisfying wasn't didn't have that moment and you saw it happen and and everyone is better as a result of that that angle and how things have gone everyone i don't want to say ray is fully elevated but he kind of maintained his status he got the revenge he got that moment yeah i mean there's only so much there's only so much you can elevate ray mysterio he's ray mysterio but at least he had at least he had the the that baby face moment that we talked about at the top of the show so yeah I, i i think the the vince being gone thing it definitely is a a major piece of that pie. And again, when I think you kind of saw some of the reaction online when it was real that, you know, he was kind of getting back into things, just this, this groan of just yeah, like, the raw okay, after WrestleMania. 
yeah, it's like, we're doing this again, you know, and you can kind of feel his influence and stuff. And that's going to be, you know, the big, I say the big fight. I'm really interested to see what happens when uh, the merger happens later this year, assuming it does is how, you know, I'm, I'm sure the structure will stay the same, but what are the expectations of, of Vince McMahon at this point? And I don't know. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for them. I think they're going to do fine money wise, but the more he gets involved in creative, the more we've seen, you know, how, how much can the, the success and the way that they're riding sustain him being back in a creative role an influential creative role, how much can that kind of offset things? I think that's going to be a fascinating thing over the next couple of years. Well, and, you know, the public line for WWE has been really to downplay Vince's role in WWE, especially in the creative process. Remember when he was first backstage? Oh, he was just there to see John Cena. You know, he came up to see John Cena like, oh, you know, he wasn't wearing a headset. He was just, you know, talking to people backstage. And then he was wearing a headset. It's like, oh, he wasn't really talking, doing that much stuff. He wasn't like talking to the commentators. WWE, from a PR perspective, has kind of really downplayed Vince's role as a creative head in the company. And I think part of that is because they know that they're benefiting from the idea that Vince is not having his fingerprints all over the product again. Um, and you think about, think about that with other entertainment properties throughout the world. If a, if a famed creator contributor came back and would there be that level of like, Oh no, they're back. Right. And it, it, this is outside like, you know, scandals and things like that, but just from a, wow, they've really lost their fastball. I mean, you think about, <laughs> you mentioned like, WPR doing their best to dissuade people from thinking that he's really kind of involved and back. Just, just think of that. This guy's been so synonymous and, at WWE, but he is so like, everyone's kind of like so over him that they have to be like, no, 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 no. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Instead of being like, yeah, no shit. He's back. He's Vince McMahon. Of course he's back to make the product better. The message is, Oh, don't worry about it. He's fine. Triple H is good. He's good. Triple H is still calling the shots. Um, yeah, don't well, you worry. Yeah, and and I think that shows to me like they they're aware that they're you know if we talk about business being up part of again that that part of that is the optics and part of that is the idea that it's the Triple H is in charge and the fans are are into it and WWE has done enough things right over the last year like we said fixing kind of how babies faces are presented being consistent with the bloodline story paying things off more that fans even if there's a reason to doubt that. Vince isn't totally gone. The product is at least good enough for fans to feel like the product is, is improved, whether or not Vince is directly involved or not, or he's only involved a little bit, or he's only giving Triple H a few notes as opposed to lifting up, the, ripping up the, the script or things like that. Um, the company has been good enough um, to, to, to satisfy uh, fans who might be feeling a little bit curious about what Vince's actual role is. Um, and I think... Uh, you mentioned something earlier when you were talking about the bloodline, which I think is really important, uh, which is the people who are featured in the bloodline, with the exception of Paul Heyman, um, we're, we're not relying on nostalgia and stars who are part on a part-time basis or past their prime or things like that, which for so long when WWE was looking to pop business, looking for someone to, to main event WrestleMania, they turn to your part-time nostalgia legends, whether it was someone like Brock Lesnar, who is more of a part-timer and less nostalgia, but Goldberg and The Undertaker and Triple H and, you know, getting The Rock come, to come back and, you know, Steve Austin wrestling at WrestleMania um, and, all, and all of that stuff. 
And that was for so long kind of how WWE relied on popping business for a short period of time. And it's really notable to me that they've found a sustainable angle and it's not relying on the past and it's not relying on, you know, attitude, era nostalgia. It's relying on wrestlers who are, I believe, all in their 30s, all very much in their physical prime uh, and all, you know, you know, on the for the most part on the on the programming each week. I know Roman's kind of here and there, but you know, it's not relying on, you know, a wrestler who got over 30 years ago to carry business. And I think that's really right. important. And it kind of um proves a lot of previous thoughts false that you needed to have nostalgia acts to get over. These guys are 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 raising business more than ever, and it's being done with guys who are, you know, in their prime and not relying on nostalgia. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Uh, there has not been the need to have a Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair here and, and Roman Reigns comes out to intimidate them or have like Shawn Michaels uh, do a, a another uh, not needed DX reunion and have Reigns and, and, the, and the bloodline just kind of take them out or something. There's there's no there's no need for that. It's like the, the, the cards that we have in our hand are the ones that we're going to play with. We don't need to pull off the deck again. And I think that's a... I think that's another like uh, subliminal, uh, if you want to say it, like thing where you don't, yeah, you don't have to go to John Cena. You know, you don't have to go to a star from the past to get the heat that you may be looking for, kind of like a, a twist or a turn. You do it when it makes sense. And you do it like, for example, like, um, and I keep, I keep going back to that Puerto Rico show with Backlash, you know, when they use Savio Vega, it wasn't like a, a forced inclusion he, he the way they fed him into that whole thing it felt natural and the people you know went crazy for it uh, and they didn't try to embarrass him they didn't try to do anything like the way they worked him in it just it just worked and yeah they have not need to in order to boost roman up they have not needed to uh, to sacrifice yeah attitude era legends or intimidate sergeant slaughter you know some of these guys that you know the dozens that are always around these reunion shows that they do every uh every now and again and uh yeah that's a it's been a refreshing thing that we have not had to have you know a, a goldberg get brought back just for the sake of doing it and yeah it's been a it's been a nice change and that is a to me that's a that shows the health of an of an organization where you again you you, you play with the cards that are in your hand you assemble these for a reason and you don't have to keep going outside and, and be like this isn't good enough because that just tells your talent at least a, a percentage of your talent, like we're not good enough. They don't see us as good enough to, to, uh, to be featured or to be mingling in this. And that's, you know, it's one of kind of one of my, uh, my issues with AEW is, is when you constantly are bringing in new talent, new talent, new talent, you, you don't give people kind of a chance to get to see what's in their hand, so to speak. It's like, you need a, a real stable group. So people can get to grow, with them, you know, in, in the maturity of a company. And that's something that WWE has really got away from. And I think that's a good thing where when a Steve Austin comes back, like he did, it's a, it, it fits. It's not a, a square peg in a round hole, you know, okay, we're just going to do this again in a couple months. Well, and it's way more sustainable to be able to, whether it's making your own talent or just or signing wrestlers or whoever, that wrestlers that are in their athletic primes that can work, you know, once a week, is way more sustainable when those people are your biggest drawing cards, as opposed to relying on someone who's only going to wrestle a match a year. And part of that right. is, you know, the, the attitude error guys really hit their physical expiration dates. 
you know, The Undertaker can't wrestle anymore. Triple H can't wrestle anymore. You can't rely on those guys, uh, you know, having a big match a year to pop WrestleMania or something like that. You needed to find new talent. And it's so much better. And, and a few things is you mentioned, like, you know, teaching, t- telling the current wrestlers you're not good enough. I mean, it, the fans, it, it would tell the fans themselves that because they would all, you know, when they brought back Bill Goldberg or when Brock Lesnar comes out or when The Undertaker comes out. WWE always treated those people like the biggest stars possible. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing, but they it was a huge contrast to the current stars that they did have, who they did not present nearly as well. And it was a really negative perception to the fans because the fans already naturally see a Bill Goldberg or a Triple H or The Undertaker as a bigger star than the current stars that exist now. Um, so when they're presented like such big stars it just rehammer hammers home the belief that the older guys are better the newer guys are not as good wrestling used to be better wwe used to be better i don't really want to watch it each week now because the current product is bad i just want to live in my nostalgia bubble um and now that you have guys that come across as you know big big stars and are protected as such and are current modern wrestlers you know contemporary wrestlers that is a huge benefit um yeah, it, it, it's interesting, you know, we're talking about the history and or I was talking about the history and how WWE wants to kind of erase it as best they they can. It's interesting that they they like history when it serves them best. The nostalgia acts and that's what the way that they used to be. And like, we'll pull from the past. But when it comes to respecting the past, like, oh, we don't need that. It's just they use it. They use the past to to bolster up the the current in a negative way. At least that's how they did it for a long time. And it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's interesting. And I had not thought about that, how they have not kind of done that. And again, to you, to your point, they condition a lot of fans, like the past is better. The attitude and, era and is a the lot only of, thing that matters. And so many fans already think that. Right. Like so many fans are already have that position where, uh, you know, oh, this thing I liked when I was 19 and I watched Steve Austin, you know, give the rock a stone cold center, uh, those fans already think that. So when they're presented as such, it, it hammers at home. Even people like people that are my age, I really do not remember the Attitude Era. Um, and But people my age will be like, oh yeah, it was better when The Rock and Steve Austin were around. And I was like, well, I was four years old when that happened. It's not like I have childhood memories of that, but it just been hammered home for decades that that was the peak of professional wrestling. And there's 10 million podcasts and YouTube series talking about how that was the peak of professional wrestling. Um, and everyone seems to agree on that. It just kind of hammers at home. And then when you watch the WWE product and it's always like, um, you know, focused on how great that time period was and the wrestlers from that time period are the biggest stars on the show. It just kind of continues to, to, to really send that message home. And it becomes so much more difficult for wrestlers now to stand out. They have so much working right. against them. Yeah. I, I mean, that, I, that was one of my, one of my eras. I'm a lot older than you are, but I mean, I was in college during that era. And it was it was cool because people again, it, it was a pop culture thing where your hardcore wrestling fans were having fun with it, especially the you know the Monday Night War between between the two uh, the two companies WCW and WWE. But also like people that are watching it were like, it felt cool, it felt edgy and different. All all the different you know uh, superlatives that have been uh, seen in the various uh, you know WWE produced shows and and all this stuff. And at this point, it's it's kind of talked to death. 
but yeah, I mean, it, it was fun, but there's also, there was fun in the eighties. There was fun spots in the nineties, depending, depending on, you know, what people, uh, despite what people should say, uh, or do say rather about some of the nineties. I mean, in any era, you can find pockets of stuff that meant something to you just for the collective and collective outside the wrestling bubble that brought that edge air brought the mix. It was different and new and fresh and, I mean, those TV numbers will never, ever, ever get back to that level of how many people were watching Raw and Nitro during the time. It was fun because you felt like it was a communal thing. You were part of something. And now every form of entertainment is struggling with a communal aspect. That way, when you you do have those moments, it yeah, makes our, it feel better. Our, our culture is totally different than it was in the late 90s. Hugely different. Yeah. Like, and, you know, our monoculture is dead. Uh, there's not going to be a TV show that's was as big as the biggest shows in like the late nineties. There's not going to be a sitcom that's going to be as ubiquitous as Seinfeld was. Um, and so, and so like, obviously like, even though, you know, and the revenues are, are, are high, high for wrestling, the idea of like, we're not going to have 8 million people tuning into Monday Night Raw. Um, it'd be great if there were, it'd be great for WWE if there were, but just that stuff doesn't happen on television anymore. Just our culture is more fractured and, and different like that. So I think some people, when they're like, oh, well, they'll never reach the heights of the Attitude Era again. And it's like, uh, you know, what's interesting is I was talking, this is this is kind of a, a side point, but I was talking to somebody um, uh, at a live event and they were talking about how big the Attitude Era was. And they were like, I used to be able to go to the gas station and I would see WCW merchandise being sold at the gas station. That's being mainstream. Like that's how big it was. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And then like next week I was at Seven Eleven, and they were selling WW merchandise at 7-Eleven, uh, <laughs> which is, yeah, I don't, I, again, I don't use that as a, as a barometer of, of, of what is popular or not, but I just thought that was interesting. This person had kind of put this memory up on a pedestal of how popular wrestling was. And I was like, I feel like the merchandising is, is more prominent now than it, than, than it was, you know, in the past. Maybe you don't see as many wrestling shirts out in public, but. Um, yeah. At that same gas station, the person probably had to walk in to actually pay for it versus now you can actually just use an app, prepay for it, and you don't have to interact with anybody. Life just changes. That's the, that's the thing. Everyone's interests are so splintered now. There's, as you mentioned, there's no monoculture anymore that, yeah, when you, every, when people kind of compare those, oh, it's never going to be that way. This, that's, that's a person it's going to be hard to reach with anything you know the the always that's true i'm never uh, walking into gas stations unless i'm buying like a gatorade or lottery tickets right yeah i mean that's the like er everything is different so it, the um i tony soprano say to polly one day uh in one of the episodes that the remember when is the lowest form of, of conversation and tony if people remember that episode in the last season that's not always the case but then when people are just they say it in a a, a spirited uh dismissal of the current product and it's not like it used to be it's like okay what, what nothing is like it used to be everything is from movies to tea everything in life is different and if you keep holding on the way things used to be you're going to miss a lot of cool stuff and that's again an unfortunate thing about this really dumb online wrestling wars is with all these different people saying that the other product sucks so much they're missing some good stuff and you can like both companies. You can like any companies, one, whatever you want, but to dismiss it without watching it, I guarantee people would like stuff on the other show and, and vice versa. They just have to be just like, you don't have to, you don't have to defend a wall. Nobody cares. Like everyone's good. Like, just like calm down a bit, people calm down. Yeah. Um, so in terms of WWE's like growth in its fan base, like, I think, do you think over the last year, 
WWE has created a lot of new fans. Like people who never watched wrestling ever before have gotten into the product over the past year. Boy, that's a that's a tough question. I think maybe the numbers by... would suggest yes, right? Like in theory, there's a lot more people watching. So some of a lot of those people must be new fans. I think it's uh, saying just strictly in viewership or demo, demo for sure, both. Both, both is fine. Yeah. So I, I think there, I think there's for demos, I think there's people that maybe they're kids that finally kind of can't, like, if you look at 18 to 34, I think there are some kids that may have just kind of come along and yeah. aged into that demo. And maybe that's bumping up something just kind of hit again, the cool factor and so on. I, I, I don't know if the kids are watching uh, WWE in colleges. I doubt they're hanging around on Friday night watching SmackDown, but you know, stranger things have happened. And I think, uh, I think, you know, probably along the way that there's been some, some stuff that's accessible where people are watching maybe cause stuff on YouTube or TikTok clip or whoever kind of younger people um, connect with, with pop culture these days and find things, or maybe it's kind of led them down, led them down the path of, Oh, I want to check this out. I mean, you know, how much are they watching? Are they committing hours and hours and hours on end? I doubt it, but it's a, yeah, I mean, they'd have to create, I think, new fans along the way, especially, you know, when they cross over in different, you know, types of media and things like that. Who knows what kind of that connection point is? It's it's so hard for me to kind of understand that. But I think, yeah, I think definitely it's probably some, a lot, of, I would say a lot, a good amount of new fans that have been created. Because I think WWE in, 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 in culture, in any type of pop culture, you're always kind of creating new fans. It just depends on how people access. And I think they've done a good job of being a pretty accessible colorful project that or a product that people can find whether they don't have cable or regular tv there's ways to to find it and especially if one of their friends says oh this is awesome you should check this out and that's you know again i keep flipping the aw side that i don't and maybe we could talk about this and whatever i i think the aw just not i don't think they make it very themselves very accessible to new non-wrestling fans i think they like to stay within a certain kind of bubble so to speak and i think wwe i think just by obviously the branding and their history and i i, I think just the way that they i think they make their game their sport their product rather more accessible than the competition does so to speak to, to the extent that AEW is competition yeah I, I just i don't know if they're really creating new fans i think the, the the growth is coming from fans who had kind of stopped watching regularly or stopped attending live shows and coming back to mm -hmm. the product because there's a lot more momentum behind it um which is different than as opposed to we created a bunch of new fans i think especially if you look at what fans they lost over the last few years and what fans they've gained um and the fact that they're in the same demographic makes me think that and, and that's different i think i think uh, uh um a really uh, like a often like kind of thing that's kind of taken for granted as the truth, but it's really not, is that whatever the average viewers are each week, which, you know, it could be Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Collision, doesn't matter. Um, we kind of assume that that is roughly how many of fans there are that are invested and willing to watch. Uh, there's, you know, 1.8 million fans who watch Raw each week. That's roughly how many fans are invested in watching Monday Night Raw. Uh, and that's not true at all. There's the, the audience is much larger than that. Just you have to convince those people, that audience to tune in each week by offering something that is interesting for them, something that's going to make them, you know, pause whatever plans they might have to make an appointment 
to, to sit down and be in front of the TV at eight o'clock on Monday nights to watch Raw. Um, and I think the product grabbing people better and grabbing fans who, despite what everyone, anyone else wants to say, fans who genuinely want to like WWE, want to like pro wrestling, have been turned away by WWE over the past several years because of different creative decisions and things like that, but genuinely want to like this thing that they grew up liking. Um, WWE's done a better job making the the weekly content more exciting and making it feel like they got to tune in each week. I think that's what the bloodline's greatest strength is in the sense of feels like uh, even though the storyline is going very slow, the idea is there's going to be something new each week. Roman Reigns is going to confront this guy. There's going to be the trial of the tribal chief. There's going to be the, the showdown later. They do some rules of engagement, week. right? There's going to be a contract signing, whatever you want to branding you want to use for it, but they, they, you want to see each week and that's a story people are invested in and people are like, all right, I've got to watch SmackDown this week. Um, and I just don't think that existed, uh, you know, a year or two ago. And I think that's getting people more into the product. There are other things like uh, Peacock has, you know, had a huge growth in subscriptions. Uh, I think they're in like twice as many uh, homes as they were like a year or two ago when WWE first launched on, on Peacock. Um, and that makes it so people who were maybe, you know, who weren't not WWE Network subscribers, there are maybe not regular WWE TV watchers. Maybe they watched WrestleMania. Maybe they watched another, you know, pay-per-view event that they saw on the streaming network um, while they're watching something else on Peacock. And they liked it. Like you said, the, uh, especially with like, you, you mentioned the Puerto Rico show, but you can talk about like Money in the Bank in London, um, even WrestleMania and some of these other shows have had really good atmospheres. Um, yep. Elimination Chamber, right? Oh yeah, Elimination Chamber, great example. What was better than that? The atmosphere of that Elimination Chamber, especially for the main event. It makes the product seem exciting, thrilling, interesting. And people who are maybe sampling it because they also happen to have a Peacock subscription and now they have access to this, this, this major, you know, pay-per-view event. They say, oh man, that was really good. You know, maybe I'll check out Raw next Monday if I'm around or something like that. And that is, I think, making a big difference as well. Just having the, that that kind of, you know, infrastructural access to, to, to the product. And that's why I think like if AEW were to get on HBO Max, it would be hugely beneficial because there are a lot more people with Max subscriptions than there are Peacock subscriptions. And that would allow that the, the AEW pay-per-view events, which are mostly excellence, to reach a much wider audience than selling them on pay-per-view does, which, you know, obviously limits it because it's limiting you to people that you convince to spend $50 on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that is going to be a fascinating part of the, the next AEW rights deal is, is how Max is incorporated. Cause I think it has to be in some point I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of like ready for them to start getting going on some of these next developments. Like I just posted a story today um, or some uh, Tony Khan interview that he did with uh, PW Insider. Mm -hmm. And basically he said that, you know, his quote unquote dream is that uh, AEW content ends up on max. I mean, we're four years or so into this, in this run. And again, there's still, unless you buy the pay-per-view or, or, or had bought it in the past, there's no way to go back and watch like, you know, the very first full gear or the very first revolution or um, all out or things like that. Like you can't really go back and watch, domestically and we can't yeah, go back there's and no watch. legal way to watch like right i was like oh and, man you know revolution 2020 that that was so great and it's like oh, i i can't watch it because uh you know yeah, it's I, there's no access for it which is is really you know absurd in 2023 
given what right. we have access to. Like if I wanted to watch a TV show that was really good or a movie, I'd be very easily able to watch it. At any yeah. Time. And that, that's the thing I don't, I don't understand about why some of these things take so long. Cause if, if this was, you know, again, if this was a WWE, they would be, this, this would be like, they would have packaged us up already and figured, okay, we're going to do our own direct service or, you know, it, 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 these things that I just, I don't, I don't understand why they're taking so long. And I, I know that this exclusive deal just happened, but there's, they could have done this a year ago. They could have started uh, doing some stuff on the same um, technology that they bought from Sinclair that they're using for ring of honors. Um, streaming library which i think was kind of a trojan horse into thinking can we do this how hard is this to be to run it ourselves like this is this is for as if from a fan standpoint again look at accessibility and, and so on like it's just it it's they've made it hard to kind of be like oh i want to go back to the beginning uh and some people might do that i don't know what extent but there's things that when it comes to kind of like how the the business is run i don't fully understand why certain things take as long as they do and i don't know if they you know, uh, a, a monologue by Tony Khan trying to answer a question, which you don't really get the answer. I don't know if that'll actually give the answer. I thought that all in was going to be the first, uh, the first voyage on max for, yeah. uh, for AEW. Because and, took, they never announced how you're going to watch it for a long time. And now they're doing back-to-back pay-per-views. We assume, we assume that the, I actually have they, I and mean, I'm trying to think, has all up been officially announced as a pay-per-view yet? I think it has, right? Or someone has reported that. I honestly can't remember, but it would seem so, likely that if All In was going to be on pay-per-view, All Out would be as well. I've heard that, although this was not advertised during Dynamite, which I would strongly advertise it if it was the case, that there'll be something, there's be some sort of discount where you can buy both for a discounted price. Yeah, um, I don't think they said that last they did not, night. They did not said it last night. I've just heard that that is a idea and i was saying if that is the case i would be advertising that a ton because you'd get a lot of people buying both right yeah it's um i I, there's just and and i think um i think brandon thurston was talking about this with with john i think it was him might have been someone else there's just a lot of mystery uh around how they do things and and that kind of holds fans at arm's length you know and it, it seems for a company that was very and very embracive of fans and and embraced uh kind of like you're along with us for the ride. It, there's definitely been, and I think every business this happens at some point, UFC, this happened as well, where you're kind of like, we're not going to, we don't need to tell you all this stuff anymore. Yeah. And well, then, I mean, it, there's it, still a lot more transparent than WWE. To, yes, to use but, an example, like um, eventually the bigger your business gets, the more closer you have to hold things to the best, I think. Yeah. But however, we can get some insights from the investors calls and get a little bit deeper in the number. We can talk about tents. We can talk about, well, they're a publicly uh, traded company. So yeah, yeah. that's a huge, that's a huge benefit of, of being able to, to do that. So yeah, it's just a, you know, they, to me, like you gotta have a deal in place by the end of the year of of some sort of streaming plan or something. And cause you're talking about max and accessibility. Like it's kind of like at this point you're there's, what is taking so long, right? It's, it's a long time that international fans have access to stuff on AW plus. It's just, it's, it's strange. It's strange to me. And I don't know if it's strange in AEW's part, David Zaslav's part or somewhere in between. I'm not really sure. Um, To talk back on WWE, I wanted to bring up this kind of last point uh, in terms of like this, this current period and what sustainability looks like for them. Um, I feel like the bloodline angle is probably going to keep going 
and I don't really see a reason for why it would start to cool off over the next few months if they do keep it going. Um, but in the long run, you know, if we acknowledge it, you know, it's the bloodline angle that is really carrying things at the moment, certainly on SmackDown. I would say on SmackDown, it definitely is because it takes up about an hour of SmackDown each week. Um, and SmackDown ratings are very good. So clearly it's hard to argue that it's something else on SmackDown. Um, but what what comes next? What comes in the future for WWE? I, my questions for them are still, I, I have one question, perhaps one semi-answer. My first question is, I don't really like their talent evaluation ability. I really have never liked it. And I'm not sure who on WWE that's like under the age of 30, especially on the male side, really stands out to me as a future top star, someone that can be built around the way that they built around Roman Reigns, or built around Cody Rhodes, or Sami Zayn, or someone like that. Um, and so that would be like, if we're looking at sustainability long-term, where is that next generation of stars coming from? Um, but part of me also thinks that maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe they are so hot right now and they have so much credibility with their fan base that they can kind of push anyone in the way that they are able to present wrestlers that anyone can kind of get over to a degree. Um, and that even if someone is flawed from a performance standpoint, they can still turn into a big star uh, if kind of the way they're presented is correct. Um, I think like Dominic Mysterio is like a big example of this. I think Dominic is really, really untalented, but he's been presented in a way that despite the fact that he can't really talk and he certainly can't wrestle very well and he doesn't have a good body, he doesn't have a ton of charisma, he has turned into a positive business moving asset for WWE. And all of that comes down to his presentation and fans buying into his character. And can they continue to do that even if they don't necessarily have the most talented roster of, of, of performers? So, yeah, it's the... This is where at some point... Kind of take a step back. So with when Roman was the the, the only champion... Again, your your upward motion again as he's kind of like focused on this bloodline thing for so long, it kind of affected that ability for other guys to and girl uh, folks on the men uh, is kind of stunted that upward growth in terms of the the goal of wrestling in, in kind of our minds and comes to characters is I want to be the champion, and so the fact that they focus so much on the secondary titles I think has been a a big benefit, especially with the you know the intercontinental title, but one of the things that they have to do is in, in kind of like how you make more stars, you have to create more of these kind of these pursuit stories and championship stories and, and, and so on and so forth and find these um, you know, find these, these reasons for people to get into this conflict with another man uh, in the, uh, the squared circle. So, you know, with reigns at some point, and this is going to, the, the storyline is going to reach its max and, He's going to have to lose the title. I, I, it could be against Jey Uso. I think that's a possibility, um, but it, you don't want to oversell where it's it's. And I thought that that point was going to be with Cody. You have to kind of decide, okay, who's going to be the next the next guy up, the next pursuer. I think you know with with Rollins and the uh, the World Heavyweight Title, I think we're a ways away from that really having a level of meaning that is uh, 
that people actually you know care about. Like this is a title we we want to uh, focus on and so on and so forth. I mean, the, Roman Reigns, you know, to beat him, that's like the big, that's the the your, your apex mountain right there. So in some of these other stories, it's just a question of interesting storylines and actually creative and and so on. Being like, these are people that think about long term planning. Like we think we can elevate in a year. Like where do they? If you had asked Triple H, you know, what what scene do you see Dominic Mysterio in a year from now? You know, um, now going to say this publicly, but you know, do they they think he want they want him in the world title scene in a year? Is it a heel or a baby face? Do you uh, where does Seth Rollins fit in a year from now? Kind of at the same level. Gunter, do you want is 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 his world title uh, approach coming? Do you want to build to something big with him? If so, how do you get there? It's that long term planning that's going to help really kind of again pay off some of these things along the way where you can look back back oh here was the here's the 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 the, uh, breadcrumb trail of where we're kind of looking and that's the stuff that i think make fans feel good is they invest the time and is actually worth it along the way um you know with cody i think paying that off at some point would be great i don't know if it's going to be say at wrestlemania next year or something like that but it's there's uh it, it just it with these top guys and the top pursuits it just depends on really like where, where do they think the biggest payoffs are and what, what do they want them to be? I have faith that they have more long-term playing than they did before, but the also with the creative hope is that you don't overstay the welcome. I know, you know, your uh, thoughts about the bloodline story, um, hold those off to the side, but like, there's a point where it's going, people are going to be like, even the most ardent fans are going to be like, okay, like we're good. Like it needs, something needs, I need some sort of variance here. I need Roman to be in a feud with somebody else or the Usos to kind of move on to something else. I don't know when that's going to be, but you know, that's having them not overstay their welcome on this angle is going to be key. I think they've done a pretty good job with it. I mean, the numbers are kind of, I think kind of proving that out, but again, we talked about this whole show about the cards and, and the, you know, kind of up and down the roster, paying some things off and so on. I think it's just finding interesting things and stuff that is going to provide that everything for everyone approach and how do they, you know, how, how far can they sustain? This is really going to depend on their desire to uh, continue to do interesting stuff, take chances. And um, again, kind of find those hot crowds and just keep things going. Cause again, it's going to dip at some point. They have to be ready to, to make the choice and do it be the uh, uh, go back to New England thing, the Bill Belichick approach of, of uh, used to be where you cut a guy a year early. You don't cut him a year late. They have to be ready to cut something early and then be ready for the future. So it's not like you finally have Cody win, but if, if it's, if it's already on the downturn, it doesn't have that same effect as when you're kind of at the top. Yeah. And you never really know. Like if it was up to me, I would have ended the bloodline storyline like two years ago. And that would be, that would be really, <laughs> fo- that would be really foolish, right. From a, yeah. from a business perspective, the the length of it is, has kept it has, has, you know, kind of it's built up it's, uh, so much momentum now uh, that it's a length is, is a huge part of the story. Um, and I know like if the idea is like, okay, we got to find the new bloodline feud, where is that going to come from? That's going to be an interesting question to ask. I think, you know, a huge reason the bloodline feud works because Roman Reigns is a, this really uh, compelling character in the sense of he was pushed for years and years and years as a top guy, never quite took off, was met with a lot of resistance from the fans and kind of used that as motivation in, in doing a heel turn, um, kind of selling this character that where he's secretly very insecure because he knows deep down he's kind of a failure, which 
has kind of ebbed and flowed as far as how much they paid attention to that over the course of the bloodline. It was very evident, you know, early when he had the Hell in Cell match against the Uso and, and things like that um, has been less prevalent as of late. But uh, the, the you know Roman, you can't just redo the bloodline because Roman Reigns is a character that had like ten years worth of booking investment put into him. Uh, you not, you're not just going to have that another person's in a similar position on that roster. So you can't really recreate the bloodline, but can you find other angles, new ideas um, in, in characters that the fans are going to gravitate towards and respond to? Um, that's a big question. But I also think that they have so much positive momentum right now with their own fans that it becomes so much easier to get stuff over, which is really the goal, right? They have fans are trusting of the product again. So fans are well now you start teasing an angle and fans start kind of getting interested in it um it doesn't necessarily have to be literature for the ages it doesn't necessarily have to be a three or four year storyline um but when you have that kind of credibility with your own fan base which wwe has largely regained it opens up a lot more opportunities yeah it's listening to the fans and trying to stay ahead of the trends and and just kind of just li listen i think that's a big thing and so many fans for so long felt like they weren't being heard. And I think now they kind of, I, I would expect at least yeah, I'd say over the last year, they feel they're being heard more often. And I'm sure I, there's, there's some, some examples I'm sure that people are like, eh, I don't know if that's the case or not, but it's uh, I think, yeah, it's just listening, listening to your audience because they're going to tell you where to go and you have to be willing to say uh, we need to make a pivot here. And that forever for the Vince McMahon era, there was no pivots for the most part. It was steamroll ahead, no matter what we know what's best. And sometimes your fans actually kind of know what's best. I know it's really hard for people to the top to hear that, but that's the, you, that's how companies really grow and stay. And again, go back to the attitude era. They're listening to fans because their fans are eating up no matter what Austin and McMahon were doing. They just kept feeding that train and they got away from that. And this, the past year, you know, we talked about a lot is, that is they've got back it seems to like we give a shit what the fans think and that's a that's a feeling that it feels like the time is invested and you feel part of it even though you're really not part of the decision making you know yeah i mean wwe had a whole era where they really openly had disdain for their own fan base uh you know they <laughs> yeah. would mock fans who were yeah. too invested in the product so they would can you, you imagine know, that isn't that the craziest thing you would have like, michael cole saying Michael Cole having to say that they're in Bizarro World anytime the fans, you know, cheered who they wanted to cheer and boo who they wanted in Toronto, to boo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it started in Toronto, but Bizarro World was a rapidly evolved, uh, growing uh, market. It suddenly spanned, you know, the entire Northeast at one point uh, <laughs> and, and into Chicago. But, you know, you had Triple H doing the me and my friend Mark aren't going to watch any more promo, um, all of this stuff. And, you know, the that for a long time, you know, they, they dedicated a ton of time to like the company itself being a heel, the the WWE, the 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 authority, you know, the the company itself was a heel. I always thought it was alarming anytime someone would come up into WWE and they would cut a promo being like, I'm gonna change everything about this place. And like fans would all cheer, like that person was a big baby face. And it's like, if you were a fan of something and someone said, I'm gonna change everything about this place, would that person be a heel because they're changing things that you of this thing that you like? But the fan they had they had positioned the company and the authority within the company as heels both in storyline and in real life. Um and it was so negative for like getting people over and, and treating the fans better. And 
they're in a much better place now. And I think that's really ultimately what leads to this growth is getting that trust back. Yeah. The an underrated part of the story is is yeah, fans actually feeling respected and cared about. And I think that's a and when you do that, important. they tune in more and they come back to live events and they'll pay more yeah. for your product. It's amazing. You got it. Seems simple, seems like pretty basic customer service, Josh, but not just WWE and, and many, many different outlets in wrestling history that has eluded them. Yeah. Uh it, yeah, companies in general. I thought this was going to be one of the, the benefits of social media uh, and, and Twitter, especially in, in the early days where brands could actually know what their customers were talking about and thinking about and could, they could address complaints. It felt like a real fresh thing. And then everyone started complaining and then they're like, ah, this isn't so great. And we're going to go just go back to ignoring people. Yeah. Well, your feelings get hurt. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. All right, Josh, you, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, well, is projects? there anything else? Well, I mean, we've talked for a while. Is there anything else that you want to talk about AEW wise or anything else going on? I know you talk a lot on, on a uh, WrestleNomics every, uh, every Sunday and, uh, uh, and on this podcast, anything have, else I'm that's, that's got your mind. Do you got, I got any, uh, quick fire topics, uh, I want to do, let me think. I'm trying to think what I've been thinking about, uh, the last few days. I'll say, um, I said this on, I think I said this on WrestleNomics in it improved a little bit on Wednesday, but I still think there's a lot lacking. Uh, for the fact that they sold 80,000 tickets or are going to be around 80,000 tickets distributed to this Wembley Stadium show for AW, I think it's been like really poorly promoted in the sense of we're only a few weeks away. We finally got our main event um, on Dynamite. It was announced, you know, Adam Cole versus MJF, which I think is going to be a big match. Um, so that's good. Uh, but I do feel like this was a real opportunity for AEW to hammer home that this is going to be uh, the biggest wrestling event in like the history of pro wrestling and that uh, every single wrestler should be vying to try to get on this card. The wrestlers themselves should be talking about it the way MJF and Adam Cole talked about it, the way they talk about like this historic event. That they just want to, they want to have the greatest match ever on because it's going to be the biggest event in wrestling history and kind of really hammer home how important the event is. Um, I think it's something WWE has historically done extremely well, especially regarding WrestleMania, where people talk about WrestleMania three for the three months leading up to WrestleMania every year, and it really sets WrestleMania apart as this major event. And I feel like AEW has the perfect opportunity to do that because they are going to have a gigantic, uh, incredible uh, sized crowd in it. I'm sure the visuals are going to be spectacular and just the sea of people watching professional wrestling at Wembley Stadium. Uh, and they haven't really seized that kind of level of promotion. Uh, and I'm sure the show will be good. I'm sure the show will be entertaining. I'm sure when we get there, it will be satisfying. But I'm concerned that they haven't fully capitalized on the opportunity to really brand all in as a signature event and really sell this as a historic moment that you absolutely have to be a part of if you're a wrestling fan. Yeah, I, I would agree. And actually, that's got me thinking uh, throughout the week. Um, just kind of like it goes back to my comment earlier about not making things accessible to new fans. It it feels like they are content when it comes to announcing for shows. And I I don't necessarily know if this is right or wrong. And I think it you know the the fretting at sometimes would be like, oh, that you know the pay per view hasn't come together since until like the last week or ten days. 
AEW fans, I would say for the most part, they're they're going to buy the show when it's announced because there's only five pay-per-views a year right now. They're like, we know it's going to be good quality and we're in. Like there's no, there, there's no uh, wiggle room unless for some reason they can't watch it. I think, and I think that's why those numbers have been very consistent. The numbers that have been reported by Dave and Brandon and, and, and other people that generally, you know, they fall within a certain range. I think that the, the, that's good. But the one thing is you don't see them increasing. You don't see them continually going up 10,000, 20,000 per, per show. Like they were say with, you know, punk and, and so on, you know, when, when he was first in and I, you know, again, there's a few weeks to go. I, it's kind of like, what do you, you know, what are you waiting for? What is the, what is the, what is the, the, the draw uh, the drawback of putting this stuff out there a month or even maybe, you know, six weeks in advance or, really making an integral part of your show outside a, a scroller in a, in a, in a quick ad read um, during it. I mean, yeah, it's August 3rd and we have one, one match. I'm sure things will come together quickly, but sometimes when things come together so quickly, you don't have the, the, the angles don't have time to really kind of marinate of just like, Oh, we're going to see this because this is because of all these different things that have happened really kind of hit that, that, uh, that go, those go home shows to really kind of drive things home for the, you know, 850,000 people or so that they're watching dynamite, those conversions, like you want those people to be, I'd be like, why are these more of these people not, not watching? What are we not doing to convert them? And I think that's a, that's like a big question. I think, I think there is some of that where they just, they don't on-ramp people the right way in terms of getting them to say, to really build that fever pitch of, I need to see this. And that's a, and a part of me wonders if they care. Right. And it, you, and I say that, and obviously they want to grow revenue and all that. And, and that's a, a big part, but I just, I just think they're so focused on like the TV stuff and, and um, you know, they, they have their achievement already just by the fans, the fan base in there, you want to deliver a good show, but I think those fans are going to be happy no matter what. I wonder if that type of thinking exists of like, we can, we can have a whole car released seven days before it doesn't matter because people, the people are there and people are going to watch. We have them. So we're just going to kind of slow play this because we have to figure out two straight weeks of pay-per-views, which is a, it's also just kind of a very, the schedule that it, I'd love to get truth theorem and Tony be like how this come together. It just happened to be the date. Cause I don't think it was a strategy to put back-to-back weekends in there uh, of pay-per-views. I think that's a, that's a kind of a tough ask, but again, it, it's, um, they, you're right. They have not made it. They've made a, a big deal of it to our bubble. Like we know about it, but in terms of getting the outside fan back, this is going to be a spectacle. You cannot miss. They haven't done that yet. And it's surprising. Well, this is their, are, their first shot at really doing this. They are doing a lot of media this week in Wembley state in London globally. Um, I know Jeff Jarrett was there. I know Paul White has been over in London oh, doing what? media for it. Paul White and Jeff Jarrett. I mean, well, Paul I mean, White is a hugely well-known Yes. Wrestler, though. Yes. So I agree. Yeah. you, the his value really to AEW. I know he's not like on the product all the time, but his his value to AEW is he can pop on talk shows and and you know local events uh, and talk about oh okay we're coming to London, um you know this is going to be at Wembley Stadium like it, obviously, uh, and people know who he is. He's you know probably one of the I don't know. If you consider him an active wrestler, he's probably one of the five to ten most famous wrestlers in the world. 
um, in terms of just people being able to recognize him. They might not know his One name. Of the, really? Huh, they might that's not know an interesting his, list. Well, I'm talking about, like, I'm not saying he's he draw, like would draw a ton of money, but just as far as, like, I think I have, I think way more people would know who the big show is than, like, Seth Rollins, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just talking about, like, and, like, like I think, like, People who aren't even wrestling fans know who, like the Big Show is, um, because he's you know he's the Big Show, he's a gigantic man. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think my issue with All In is not even that we don't have like a whole card of matches announced. It probably would be better if they did, um, but that's not. I think like their style for AEW's promotion of its pay per view events is often like, you know, we're going to announce a lot of the matches like the last you know in the dynamite before and then so do a quick build kind of while it's fresh in everyone's mind uh which you can debate is whether that's uh successful or unsuccessful um this probably merits it strengths and weaknesses to it but my issue is like really we're a few weeks away and we don't know we don't really have like a creative direction for a lot of these guys like who is kenny omega gonna wrestle at Wembley stadium or the Young Bucks or the Elite, are they gonna have a match? Who's CM Punk gonna wrestle at, uh, you know, uh, Wembley Stadium? Who's Chris Jericho wrestling at Wembley Stadium? Maybe something involving, you know, Daniel Garcia or Sammy Guevara. Um, we just we don't know. We don't have those clear directions because oftentimes with AW pay per views, even if we only get the matches formally announced, you know, a few days before the event, we basically know what's gonna happen on the show. Um, it's just a matter of time of them doing getting to the storyline point where they're actually going to announce the match. But we can see we can people who are watching the weekly product can see where this is headed, um, and that just isn't the case with All In. It just seems like we don't have clear directions for a lot of these guys, and the clock is a ticking. You know, we've got you know three or four more shows to go. Um, it's going to be, re- I think, a, a really interesting to see how hard they're able to promote this. Um, yeah, and it, you know it's absurd to say it's a poorly promoted show when you look at the business it's done. Uh, I ju- I just think they're I think they're they haven't capitalized on an opportunity to brand all in as the biggest show of the year and have this be an annual event, draw eighty thousand fans every year instead of just this one. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think they think it's the biggest event of the year. I think they. And that may sound crazy to say. I, I I think they. I don't think that they, they haven't acted like that. it is. Like no, from, they haven't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Tony Khan has said it's going to be the the best show in their history, but Tony again, Khan said it's going to be the biggest wrestling event in history on Wednesday night. Yeah. Which some people will be like, oh again, yeah, he's that's not the biggest wrestling event in history. But I'm like, good, good. The promoter should be saying this show is going to be the biggest event in history. Um, and yeah. it's not without credibility. They're probably going to end up with, you know the largest paid audience or, 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 you know, in history. So it's not like a, a crazy, you know, there's some validity to it, but he's a promoter. He should be making it seem like this is going to be bigger than any WrestleMania ever. It's going to be bigger than any AEW event in history, any WCW event. It's going to be 80,000 plus fans at Wembley stadium for their, for their UK debut. It should be treated like that. Um, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. It, I mean, to it, your point, it's, it's not out there as the, it should be like, because you're going to see, x versus x and x versus x i i I think i think we're going to get a second match announced by collision whether it's a 
uh, FTR challenge of the Young Bucks if they want to do a big match there. If it's a something to do with the Punk Starks thing, or yeah, I I I think we're gonna get at least one more out of this weekend. Um, but I mean, we have to have I think I think it's gonna be substantial work done here in the next in the next weeks in terms of let's get some stuff to people to look forward to and how it fits how it flows into All Out is is fascinating as well. I think I think. That's- that's actually, I think that's like, I'm really, I think that's really going to be interesting to watch. I think they could have the opportunity to do some really cool stuff. They Just, can. Yeah. I, I mean, the scheduling is probably less than ideal. Like you said, like, I don't really know if that would be a cho- why they chose to do pay-per-views and back-to-back weeks, but it does, it will be a very interesting experiment to see how that is juggled. What happens on all in that will bleed into all out. Will it kind of be this seamless transition between the two shows? Can you do a major angle at all in and then, run it back at all out like a week later how how will that impact business i think all that's very fascinating yeah i think that's definitely going to play into the mjf cole thing whether cole does a turn at all in that leads to all out of mjf does I, there i think there's i think they're going to go back to back with uh with matches between those guys with some sort of the hook is going to be whatever happens at all in and then you know the full payoff maybe at all out or something i, I think there's something there but yeah you have a lot of that and that allows them to be like look our bill to all out was this paper we did seven days prior and yeah we'll we'll see how that turns out but it's a they, uh, yeah i i'm i a month from now this tuesday in, now, this tuesday in texas that's right yeah a month from now where that'll be really interesting to kind of look back and on if they were able to land the plane or not we'll uh, we'll see yeah all right josh i really want to thank you for coming on the show today uh is there anything did you plug did you already plug your stuff or did uh, no, no, I, I ticked it, kicked over you for more questions. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm a tribunator for wrestlingobserver.com. You can check us out, obviously. Uh, you know that. I think my and listeners are familiar with the Wrestling Observer. I'd say so. I would say so. You can check me out at the, do a podcast for them, Josh Nason's Punch Out. And I do that a couple of times a month with interesting guests and, and so on. Uh, the last person I talked to was uh, Ben Goldstein, who is a, the former uh, editor-in-chief of Cage Potato, which was an MMA website that was really kind of a big deal, kind of more of a humor-based take on MMA back in the boom period of you know 2005, 2006, and so on and so forth. And Ben is a just recently came off a run on Jeopardy as a five-time champion. And I was fascinated by that story. I read a book about Jeopardy last year, which I thought was really fascinating. And Did you, did you read uh, to- Claire, Claire McNear's book? That's that was the book. That was the book. Yeah. yeah. So I was I I'm not like a huge Jeopardy fan, but I was very I, I was very kind of interested in how everything works. So, yeah, Ben and I talked for an hour. Uh, so that's available for free on the on the website. And yeah, just kind of interesting conversations about things that we kind of take for granted in the uh, the pro wrestling space institutions and, and so on and so forth that exist and uh, and, and kind of you know getting in the weeds a little bit uh, indie promoters, how things are going um former personalities that have not out so things like that which are kind of just part of the there's there's a lot of choices in people's podcast days right i mean so i want to do something that's a little bit different not just a a recap of dynamite or raw or something like that i want to do something that's a, a little bit different yeah no and i have been a guest uh a couple times couple on the times. show yeah i know I, I was actually i was thinking that this i'm like this is Josh's first appearance on my show. And that's, that's a bad, that's a bad job on mine because you've been very courious with your platform. Uh, welcome me, me onto your show several times. And 
I know there's been plenty of people on the the you know Voice of Wrestling Network that have also appeared uh, on Josh Nason's Punch Out uh, before yes. in the past. So there's a lot there's a lot of crossover appeal between the two brands. Um, we're gonna have a Survivor Series match uh, this this November. Um, my my biggest fear I I, my, I I watch Jeopardy pretty regularly and I'm pretty good at trivia, um, but I always have the fear of Jeopardy. Like it's I I would never be able to to I I'd be way too nervous. I would blow it very quickly. Um, my big <laughs> my big fear is it's gonna be like the the final Jeopardy question is gonna be like professional wrestling or something. It's gonna be the category, and I'm just gonna totally choke. Uh, and it would be like embarrassing because people at home would be like, "Oh, Jesse's gonna nail this question," and it's like really easy, and I just blow it because I'm too nervous. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's, that's a, that's your scarlet letter for the rest of your uh, the rest of your professional life. Yeah, I, it's I gonna be like yeah. who defeated who spotty slammed under the giant in front of WrestleMania three, which like would be maybe like a real Jeopardy question that they would ask, and I would I would somehow get managed to get it wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks well, a lot, Josh. Um, thanks a lot, everyone who's been listening, and I'll talk to everyone again in a while. Bye. Uh, uh, uh. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.